This is our first session on Colossians 3, 15 to 17. We'll focus on verse 15, but let's read the whole thing. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing by grace in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or work, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, Father, as we focus on the peace of Christ and in your hearts and this calling and in the one body, grant, I pray, that there would be an understanding of the peace and that it would penetrate our hearts in all reality and that it would have a profound effect in helping us maintain the unity of peace in the body of Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start with this word, let. I think probably 230 times or so in the New Testament, you get the verbal construction of what we call third-person Imperatives. Let me explain what that means. A second person imperative is when I directly speak to you and I say, You close the door or you come here. I'm giving you an imperative, I'm addressing it to you. Now, in English, we do not have a third person imperative. You're not speaking to the thing. You're commanding, you're speaking about the thing that you are commanding. Very strange. Um, that's what we have 230 times in the New Testament, and it's almost always translated with the English let. And the reason I'm pointing it out is because let in English is ambiguous. If I say that uh, someone's pounding at the door, let him in, I mean, Remove the obstacle, open the door, give him permission, and, and, and let him come in. It's a, it's a matter of permission and allowance. Let means allow him to come in. Or if, if uh, somebody's clamoring to speak in the Senate and the chairman says, let Mr. So-and-so speak, that's uh, permission given. That's not the case with th this third-person imperative. It's more like I think the closest we have in English is it's been dry for a long time. There's been a drought, and then some clouds form, and the rain starts to trickle down, and you cry out, let it rain, let it rain. You, you, what you mean there is not I'm giving permission, but rather you, you're saying rain, <laughs> start raining. I want it to rain. You're commanding, as it were, that rain come. or uh, say you're at the Olympics and and uh, you're charged with beginning the games, and you say, "Let the games begin." You, you don't mean 
primarily permission, you mean start the games. So that's the closest we get in English to an imperative that is a third person. That is, you're not speaking to them with you. You're speaking about here the peace of Christ, or here, let the word of Christ. Both of these lets are third person imperatives. You're commanding in a way that only the Greeks can do. We can't do it in English. You're commanding the peace of Christ to rule. You're commanding the word of God to dwell. Then focus for a moment on peace of Christ. Jesus referred to his peace in John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace. That's like peace of Christ. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, but neither let them be afraid. So this is a kind of peace that is the peace of Jesus. He shares it. His peace becomes our peace, and the effect is a non-troubled, non-afraid heart. So even though the word peace is reflective of the big word shalom, which carries larger connotations than subjective, trouble-free hearts, it is not less than that. It might include much more than that, but it's not less than that. Don't, don't let anybody say, oh, you've got this pietistic, individualistic view of Christian peace that it has to do with having a nice, calm, and trouble-free heart. Well, don't mock that. This is massively glorious here, and it's the peace that Jesus gives. So I'm not going to rule that out here, even though it's more than that here. Let's stay with Paul for a moment. Here's what Paul says about peace, the peace of Jesus. In Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you you Gentiles who were not part of the people of God, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. So he is the one who in his own blood and body, as we'll see, removed hostility and obstacles and created a harmony between Jew and Greek in Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one, so Jew and Gentile he's talking about, and has broken down in his flesh, blood and flesh, the dividing wall of hostility that is removed by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, peacefully united, in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God. So now we've got the vertical dimension as well as the horizontal dimension. He made us both one, and he reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross. You've got the blood, the flesh, the cross accomplishing this peace killing the hostility, and he came and he preached peace to you who are far off, and that would be the peace that reconciles us to God and the peace that reconciles us to each other who were far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Unity, 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 unity in Christ doing it, unity 
in that we go through one spirit, we go to one Father, we go together. This is probably foremost in Paul's mind as he says the peace of Christ here, because he he refers to being called to it, to which peace, to which indeed you were called, and that's what he said here in Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's part of our calling, and that's what he's referring to right here when he says, you were called to this in the one body. Now, it's clear then that because of the reference to one body, and that body is the church, we saw that back in chapter 1, verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. So this is the one body, the church. You were called to peace, the peace of Christ, which he achieved to remove all hostility among members of the church. You were called to that in the one body. Here's the, here's the thing that needs to be added to that conception of corporate peacefulness. Namely, in your hearts. You know, um, I referred to it back in John 14, but so many people, and we're all prone to do this, pick out the emphasis we like, and we minimize the part we're not at the moment interested in. Like we might be preaching a sermon and we really want to drive home peace in the Christian life is corporate, corporate, corporate. It has to do with relationships, 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 and completely neglect this. Or if you like this, you might say, it's in your heart, it's in your heart, it's in your heart, folks and completely neglect this. Well, let's not do that, okay? I'm, I'm doing these look-at-the-book sessions in the effort to try to see everything that I can see in the text and let each one have its proper effect. So I'm not neglecting the one body. Clearly, the peace of Christ that he wrought back in Ephesians 2 is manifestly vertical towards God and horizontal among believers, but here it is let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And I would say we don't pick between these two. We say in order for it to have this effect on the body among members, it's got to have an effect in our hearts. We have to taste the sweetness in our hearts of being reconciled to God at the cost of the blood and flesh and cross of Christ, and we have to feel the preciousness of the effect that has on Jew and Gentile and among races and ethnicities and among men and women and old and young and educated and uneducated. We ought to feel in our hearts the preciousness of being at peace with God and at peace with each other. Then it can have its effect 
on the body. Here's an example of the same thing. Here's in your hearts again. Now notice, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Hmm. One another, okay, so that's a horizontal effect or, or outworking of this teaching and admonishing. We're doing it to one another in all wisdom, with psalms, we're doing it with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another, singing by grace in your hearts to God. Well, now, somebody could say, for singing to be authentic, it has to be heart singing, and put all the emphasis there, and that's absolutely right. That's why this is here. But if you dwell on that with complete focus and neglect one another, you'll miss the fact that even though you are in your heart singing to God, you are also from your heart singing to one another. And I think the same thing is going on here with in your heart. So let's not limit peace of Christ to the um, relational dimension in the church, and let's not limit it to the experiential, individual, personal experience of the heart. It is both. Now, next time, what does rule mean?